When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I am Kyle Mikey, Lions beat reporter for MLive. Joined as always by Ben Raven. Ben, it is NFC Championship game week, and the Lions are still alive. <laughs> Lions 49ers on Sunday in San Francisco. Big, big week. Yeah, man. A year ago, I was probably studying Payne Durham Purdue tapes, you know, getting ready for the Senior Bowl. And, uh, to still be in the day-to-day grind with uh, two extra rows of chairs and a new NFC title banner behind Dan Campbell, its uh, I think I've been overusing this, but it's an out-of-body experience, man. It's challenging my reality. <laughs> As one of the players told me in the locker room today, who the f*** are these people? <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> There's a lot of people, a lot of people in Allen Park as the Lions gear up to play their biggest game yeah. in 32 years. Um uh, it, it's just monumental what we're seeing happen right now with the Detroit Lions. And America is noticing these, these TV numbers are incredible. The ticket demand in Detroit has been incredible. The decibel volumes <laughs> in Ford Field have been unprecedented. Um, we got a big podcast on tap for today to set up this 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 game. Um, first up, Derek Barnes, one of the heroes from the, the Buccaneers game, um, snagging the uh, game ceiling interception. Really love talking to him, Ben. He's such a good guy, and it was nice to catch up with a guy who's been through a lot to be to this this summit in his career and, and for Detroit. Um, and then at the end of the program, Eric Branch, the 49ers beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, he'll be on board to kind of break down what we see from the other side of this game. Ben, how do you see this game going because I mean to me I look at two teams that are built pretty similarly Mm -hmm. but the Lions are just cresting now in terms of their rebuild while the 49ers have obviously been perennial contenders now for for a while yeah and it's it's kind of what I've been saying all year is like I like the Lions chances against anybody including this 49ers team but it's just like I feel like if they have to go on the road to play that 49ers team that's where it ends and I mean it's that's not a shame that's not me looking down on the Lions they're not going to get blown out in this game no matter how I feel about this they're going to be in this thing I, I truly do believe that but uh I just see the Niners having way too many matchup problems on this Lions team. The injuries in Detroit are lining up against some of San Francisco's strengths. And, I mean, even when you, like, look at the Debo Samuel uncertainty not practicing on Wednesday, being 50-50 deemed earlier in the week, like, 
they still got the weapons to live through that stuff. And they got a quarterback that, yeah, maybe he's a system quarterback, but I think he might be the best system quarterback in the league but based on what he's doing. And, I mean, you just look at all the things, and then you look at, like, Purdy's 99.9 PFF rating on throws 20-plus yards downfield. I mean, that is where the Lions have struggled over the last month is the perimeter, outside corner. But, yeah, it's uh, I like the Lions' chances to stay in this thing, but I do not envision a trip to the Super Bowl on the horizon. The Lions are a very good team, borderline elite. They're in the final four, so you can call them elite if you want. I have no problems with that. Approved, um, yeah. But they are not a perfect team. They are still in year three of a rebuild. It's maybe sometimes easy to forget considering <laughs> just how damn well they've played this year, the, the game they have on tap. It's so easy to celebrate the reemergence of Jared Goff the you know reckoning of the backfield with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs with the record setting of Sam Laporte. I mean, there's just so many amazing stories on this team. And even the defense itself has played better, but they are not a perfect, well-rounded team. I mean, they just need another offseason or maybe two um, to get to where the 49ers are, which is just a powerhouse on all sides of the ball. The Lions have a real problem on the defensive perimeter. They, they, I mean, they went into the draft last year with Devon Witherspoon atop their draft board. They wanted the cornerback help um, that they need. And let's not forget, they assigned Emmanuel Mosley, who played two snaps for them this year. Um, so, you know, they, they tried to address it, but Mosley got hurt, and the Seahawks took Devon Witherspoon before the Lions could. And so they went a different direction. And, hey, they traded back, and they got Gibbs and Laporta out of it. Damn good players who have propelled the Lions to where they are now. But that doesn't help them defend opposing receivers. And we're seeing that down the stretch. And I give Aaron Glenn a lot of credit for scheming around it. You see way more blitzes now. Putting Malfanu on the field a month and a half ago has made a huge difference with his ability to get to the quarterback. Brian Branch getting to the quarterback. Anzalone had a career season getting after the quarterback. Um, so they they have done what they can. And you've seen some bend but don't break in the playoffs. I mean, they were able to hold Stafford out of the end zone against the Rams. They got two turnovers last week against the Bucks. I mean, this team is bending but not breaking. But now they're going up against the number one offense in the league. A really, I mean... Uh, you know, if Lamar Jackson's not the MVP, then it's Brock Purdy. He's right there. Um, who knows if Debo Samuel will play in this game, but excellent player. I mean, they they have such an excellent, well-rounded offense that hurts everyone every way you can imagine. And the Lions will face that offense with a team that's really, you know, a, a secondary, a perimeter that's really struggling to defend the pass. And that they've been able to get by to this point against teams that are not San Francisco. Yeah. But now San Francisco stands in their way to go to a Super Bowl. And I really do fear um, they might be to be the team that, that hits them on um, their weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, and it's just the fact that the Lions, they have found ways to manufacture pressure, but they've had to manufacture pressure other than Aiden Hutchinson in the last month. And I mean... Once you take away somebody from the defensive backfield, you're just opening yourself up for pain against this team because there's George Kittle. There's Christian McCaffrey. I mean, those guys are not out wide. Those guys are going to slice and dice this team up the middle. I mean, the second you send Branch or Melifonu on a blitz, you better hope somebody's got their back because Purdy will pull that thing back and let it rip. I mean, he really – he's not one of those gunslinger types, but he has no fear when throwing downfield. And if he sees a window, you get Branch or Melifonu on a blitz. I mean, that's, that's going to be tough to defend. It's going to be tough to generate pressure against that offensive line. Uh, Eric gets into it a little later. Trent Williams still looking like Trent Williams. So like Aiden's going to have his hands full whenever he's lining up in front of him. And I mean, 
it's going to be tough because they really have had to find ways to manufacture pressure from the second and third levels, and you really just can't get away with doing that too much against the Niners. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved Aiden around a little bit, get him off Trent Williams, because you know you stop Aiden Hutchinson, you have a good chance of stopping <laughs> the Lions' front four, um, and you know get him off Trent Williams. I mean, that's yeah. just a you know Aiden's a great player, but Trent Williams is one of the great offensive tackles of his generation. Um, so we'll see we'll see on that front, but I think it's a tough game. Ben, do you have a, a prediction? I, I, we're contractually yeah. obligated. In this. I mean, we have been told explicitly, please pr- pr- predict this game. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's two really tough teams that are built similarly, red hot, obviously. But how do you see this one shaking out? I'll give you the same score prediction I gave Brett Musburger's radio station this morning. Niners 27, Lions 17. <laughs> it's very similar to mine. I had, uh, San Francisco 27, Lions 20. Yeah. I, I think they're going to give them all they can handle. I, yep. I just I see the 49ers as impenetrable. Um, they are the class of the of the NFC. They had a little spurt in the middle of the season where they didn't play their best ball. They also had a, a ton of injuries during that stretch with Debo and Trent Williams. I think McCaffrey was banged up there for a few weeks. They are healthy right now. The Lions are not healthy. We haven't even gotten into the <laughs> offensive line yet, which it, it's going to be without Jonah Jackson this week. Frank Ragnow is playing through four injuries, so many injuries that when you look at the injury report, they got a little box for like what injury guy's dealing with. And then it goes to Wednesday, you know, if a guy practiced or not. And Frank Ragnow's list of injuries goes all the way into Wednesday, like just the list of injuries because he's dealing with a toe, knee, back, and ankle. Um, we talked to him this week, of course. He expects to play, <laughs> but like he's banged up. They're without Jonah Jackson. I, I fear what that means against the San Francisco defensive line that is one of the most fierce in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, Armstead, Kinlaw, Hargrave. That's that's tough, man. And I know they, they're singing the praises of Awashika's work stepping in there, but like I think he had 28 pass blocking reps last week and allowed six pressures. Whenever he saw Vita Vey, I think he allowed five pressures to that guy. That's, I mean... You're never going to replicate a Vita Vey, but at least we're talking in the same ballpark of like strength and size and skill on the interior. And I mean, you just really can't undersell how big of a loss Jonah Jackson is. I know this hasn't been his best season. I know he's been injured and playing through some things, but like he's just such a piece to that offense. And to beat the Niners, you have to run the ball. And without Jonah Jackson, you're going to have a harder time running the ball. You mentioned Vita Vey and there. I just want to say one of my favorite moments from the locker room, maybe all season, but certainly this week was talking to an offensive lineman. And I asked him, yeah. what was it like blocking Vita Vea? Because he's just such a unique guy, 350 pounds uh, and athletic. He's not a big fatty out there. He's, no. he's, he's not Nick Fairley. <laughs> um, <laughs> God bless Nick Fairley. Um, it's coming straight. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but I talked to this offensive I'm like, wait, what is it like to block a guy like Vita Vea? And the guy, and the guy, the player is just like, Blocking that mother effer is like trying to block a bowling ball with arms and legs. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this the Lions defense played so well in that game. I felt like, um, and we'll get back to San Francisco preview with Eric Branch uh, of the San Francisco Chronicle at the end of this podcast. But I do want to go back, revisit the, the the Tampa game, and kind of set up our Derek Barnes yeah. interview. Because like these last two home games at Ford Field, watching the playoffs, the Lions win back-to-back games in the playoffs for the first time since 1957. It's been difficult to fully 
capture, to fully put my arms around like those moments. Like I, I guess it's just snippets, like hearing the crowds roar as Jared Goff put his knee to turf to finish off Tampa or the the roar of a 747 jet engine when the Lions took the field. When they took the game hadn't even kicked off. The Lions are just taking the field against the Rams or or seeing Jared Goff throw the game clinching pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, seeing people cry in the stands, like leaving Ford Field at like, I don't know what it was, I don't know, three in the morning and seeing someone like just sitting on the side walk outside Ford Field holding a golf sign. Like those, like these are like moments that I'm I'm not gonna forget. Like seeing uh, things on social media of people in hospice care dyeing their hair blue, like Amon Ross St. Brown. Like to to see the Lions fever that has gripped this town and to see the Lions live up to the moment. It's it's really been um spectacular. No, it's uh we were really fortunate to be able to experience two home games in that environment because like you said, it's just that's a that's a life memory that you'll never forget because before they entered the field against the Rams and then that moment when they showed Eminem on the video board last week, it's like my ears are still buzzing mm-hmm. from that. So very curious to see what it looks like on the road. Early reports are saying that 20% Alliance fans might take up uh almost called it candlestick, Levi Stadium. So We'll see if they can take over one last stadium as best as possible, but it's been a just a memorable ride, man, in that Tampa game. What a what a moment. What a moment. What a moment with, with Derek Barnes. Local hero. I, I mean, and we'll get into it in the interview, but I, I just I think his story so personifies what this Lion team is about. Resiliency, you know, emerging from the ashes, you know. I, I mean going from last place to one win from the Super Bowl in three years is just an incredible comeback. And Derek Barnes has had one too, going from a late round day three pick who really didn't have a place with the team early on, watching Malcolm Rodriguez, a sixth round pick, take his spot last year, watching the Lions draft a guy with the 18th pick at his position and Jack Campbell this year. I mean, the writing was on the wall for this guy. I think I actually included him on my list of, you know, guys who are on the hottest seats coming into the season. Um, and then he turns in his best training camp and he starts, I think it was 13 games in the regular season. And there were miscues along the way, but I think generally he held up pretty well. Um, and then minute 33 left against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the divisional round. You're this close to the NFC, NFC championship game. And Derek Barnes picks off Baker Mayfield. And it was not a gimme. He he made a leaping, uh, diving away from the ball kind of grab. And it, it was just uh, an incredible play. And he raised his hands up in triumph as Ford Field just lost its absolute marbles. Um, that was certainly one of the, the visions I'll always take from this line's run. Yeah, not too bad for a guy that was playing defensive end at Purdue four years ago. All right, Ben, we're back here in the indoor practice field with none other than Derek Barnes, one of the heroes from the, the win against Tampa. The, you're smiling already. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the interception with 133 left. I, I, my favorite part from that play is just thinking about your story arc in Detroit, where you've come from as a late-round pick, some struggles early on, and you've, you've played a lot of ball this year, and yeah. there's been some bumps along the way, yeah. and you're coming up with that big interception to, to send the Lions to the NFC Championship game, right. and I look down at you, and you're just raising your arms to the to the crowd, to the sky. What's what's going through your mind in that moment? Um, uh, Honestly, I kind of blacked out uh, when I caught the ball, because when I seen the ball come, I was like, all right, this can go one of two ways. You can drop it, 
and then it, something happened, and then now everybody looking at you crazy, or you can, you know, you can catch it and uh, into the game. So, um, no, the fact that I caught it was was amazing. But kind of just blacked out, man. It was uh, a lot of emotions going through. Uh, obviously, you guys know it's my son's first game coming. Um, and, and when I was raising my arm, it was really up to him. I didn't know what they were, but it was really to, to my family and obviously the fans too. Uh, you know, this city deserves it. Um, it, was, it was crazy. And the fact that I could put smiles on a lot of people's faces, uh, most importantly, this organization, uh, my play, my teammates, um, coaches, staff. Um, it was, it's, it's an amazing moment for me, uh, speaking the fact of where, where I come from and, and how hard, you know, I worked to, to get where I am. And, and the fact that, you know, my ceiling is still high and got so much more to improve on. But the fact that I could do that and allow my team to win, you know, uh, and, and, I, and I always say, like, I don't think that, you know, that, that play was the only play allowed us to win. You know, there was multiple good plays in there that people made that, you know, was a difference making that game. But the fact that I could be one of them is, is, is truly honor. So. And one thing, I talked to you in the locker room after the game. I did not hear Aiden Hutchinson's quotes. He said he was screaming something at you about changing that play yeah. or something. Yeah. He said, I was so mad at him until I turned around and saw he came down with the ball. So just what did you see? Did you hear him? Yeah, no. So it was actually, it was actually the play before okay. we were talking. You know, me and Hutch, we we played on both sides, you know, kind of kind of like lightning and thunder. So we kind of used that together and we rushed with each other. But uh, he, he was saying, like, if the running back two is, we're going to run this game, this game. And I'm like, but it was empty. So I'm like – the running back to us, but it's empty. So what you want to? So I wasn't paying no attention. So I'm like, I'm about to just run straight. <laughs> and then he came. And then right before the play, he was like, when we was lining up, he was like, "Deep balls." I thought, I thought we was such and such. I was like, "Boy, it was empty." So then I, so I lined up. I'm like, "Man, you, I'm tired. You talking too much." So I, no, that's my guy though. So yeah. And then we had a play where I dropped in and they made the play, obviously. But no, uh, Hutch is uh, he, he's big on that, big on preparation, big on doing doing things right, and that's why he. As a player he is, uh, really look up to that guy, even though he's younger than me. But he, he's a guy that, you, that comes in here and works. But uh, yeah, no, I know I won't, I won't miss that again when it's <laughs> that. But no, it was a little miscommunication. I was thinking one thing, you're thinking another. But no, those are mistakes that can't be can't be made in, in situations like that. So it worked out. Yeah, for sure, hundred <laughs> percent. Got to make up for it. No, like I said, like it's, it, like you, you, there's bad plays going out throughout the game, but you make up for it. All that other stuff go out the window. So no, it's awesome. D Barnes, what a journey for you this year. I mean, over your your career here, um, some struggles early on, like I said, and um, on and off the field throughout your career. Yeah. And um, you know, they bring in Malcolm last year. They bring in Jack this year, and, and we saw the best training camp you've ever had yeah. this past summer. And I was like, whoa! Like I, when they made the draft pick, like no offense, but I just thought, okay, this means bad things for Derek sure. Barnes. And yep. I'm sure you're probably thinking some of the same yeah. stuff. Yeah. I guess I want to ask you, like, what this year has been like in terms of perseverance, resilience. You know, this is something that Dan Campbell talks a lot about with this team and it runs in the DNA. And we see it in you this year, but being able to bounce back with that training camp, earn a starting job. We even saw it a couple of weeks ago with Dak, the, 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 the Dak play, which yeah. Uh, you're, yeah, you're already chuckling. I mean, you got some criticism. I yeah. know you were upset with what one of our colleagues <laughs> put out there. It, it'd be like that sometimes. It'd be like that sometimes. No, yeah. A couple of weeks later, you're, you're out there making a winning play, a huge moment. Um, I guess what has your, when you reflect on this year with that, with that yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, you know, always, you know, growing up, you know, when you when you've seen a lot of things and you you've been in moments to where, you know, you, you had to face adversity and 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 how you're going to react to situations. Uh, that's been my whole life story. Like I've always been, you know, a guy that people look, look past and then he then I pop up and like, oh, my God, this guy's actually, you know, good at what he does or in any situation, no matter what it is. But uh, I just believe in myself. Uh, I know that, you know, my first two years, I was like. Not super down on myself, but things weren't going the way it was. You know, I was always used to, and I can say this in the most, you know, 
non-cocky way, but I always was the guy. I always was the best at everything I did. Uh, so when I fail, it really, you know, takes a toll on me. And I'm, I'm the hardest on myself than anybody. And, you know, my wife tells me that all the time. My dad tells me that, even coaches. Uh, and it showed, you know, the previous two years I played, um, you know, when anything bad happens, I just go to the dumps. And I told myself this year, no matter what, no matter who they draft, no matter who they bring in, no, I'm going to focus on myself, focus on what I can do to help myself. As long as I'm satisfied with myself, that all that matters. Um, and, and that's why I continue to live by each and every day. You know, I, you know, I miss, you know, critical tackles and against Dallas and, and then after that, you see me, didn't see me get down. I made, you know, really good plays after that. But, you know, of course, the media and people are going to look at that play and not the ones I made after that. But, you know, that happens. And, you know, I did get a lot of backlash on that. But it is what it is. I focus on myself. And I told myself that I owe myself a good play. I owe myself a, a get back from what happened in Dallas, not the fans. Um, definitely owe my teammates. You know, I wanted, you know, you can't get those plays back. And that's that what happened. But, you know, through it all, you know, this has been a great process for me. Uh, I love Detroit, people who believed in me, the people who never gave up on me in, in, in any moment. You know, that means a lot to me. You know, guys like Brad and Dan and AG and Shep and my peers, teammates, you know, guys who believed in me and know what I could be in this league. And uh, like I said, the, the ceiling's still high. I got a lot more to, you know, improve on. And, and I know that time will come. But right now, just focus on, you know, we got the week and get better and do what I can do to get to be a better player and be what I know I can be. So. I got two yeah. more for you, and I got meetings to go yeah. to, so we'll get, it, get you out of here. Um, one is, what does it mean to have the support of a guy like Kelvin Shepard, who's been very, I mean, he's been telling us going way back, Derek Barnes is coming, don't sleep on him, Derek Barnes is coming. <laughs> what, what does that kind of support uh, and confidence? I mean, you know, I, I always tell, like, and I joke, I joke about it, but it's true. I mean, when you see talent, and you, you know talent. Like, when you've been in the league, you know, Coach Shep's been in the league, he knows what type of player I could be, he knows where my ceiling is, he knows how good I can be in this league and uh, what I can do. Um, he just always believed in me. You know, we didn't have, we'd have bumped heads, and I think it's more of like a, a brotherly <laughs> love type of thing. And, you know, it comes out of love. Like, he believed in me more than, you know, most people did. Um, and the fact that he plays faith in me, and it just makes me want to go out and just bust somebody's head open for him because <laughs> he gives me that type of respect. And, uh, you know, he coaches me hard. And I've always been coached hard, so it's not, and crazy, like I said, we, we have our little back and forth, but it's truly out of love and respect for each other. Uh, truly respect him. He has, you know, revived my career, uh, gave me confidence, you know, kind of, you know, has been put me in the right position to make plays, you know, any any little small thing. And I might get upset like, oh, he's being nitpicky, but no, it's just because he wants me to be the best. Uh, and, I, and I truly believe that. And I know he's not doing it to bring me down. And, you know, we always talk, like, even if we have a little trip against each other, you know, he put me to the side. He's like, man, look, dude, I love you. I just want the best for you. And it's, it's, it's always been respect, man. Nothing but a high most respect for him uh, and our relationship. You know, like I said, I don't know where I would be without him, uh, without the guys in my room, without AG, Dan, and them. So, uh, no, it's he, he's been a, a huge part of my success. So, last one for him. I want to ask you about getting the game ball after the game. What that moment meant to you? You're, you're already smiling, but I love the line. Like, got my first interception. Only took me three years. <laughs> no, you gotta, yeah, you you gotta make it a uh, a little funny. You know, in those moments, it's just so much excitement going on. You don't know what to say and. You know, I wasn't prepared, and you know, it's funny because when we when we get wins and you see Dan hand out a game ball, it's like, man, that's so beautiful. Like, yeah. not, no jealousy, nothing like that. It's just like, man, I want I want to get the game ball one day after, and be a difference maker in the game, like with JG throwing the game winner touchdown or Hutch getting the game winning sack, cost fumble to a safe, like things like that. And I'm like, man, I want to do that one one of these one of these weeks. Yeah. Uh, so, what did that after everything you've been through? What did that mean to you in that moment? After oh man, that game with that crowd yeah. to get that game. Ball. Oh man, it meant meant the world to me. Uh, 
truly honored, man. And and the fact that, you know, you walk in the locker room, obviously I'm the last one, I'm doing a bunch of interviews and stuff, walking up and you walk in, the whole freaking locker room just explodes when you walk through the door. There's no other feeling than that. The fact that these are the guys that believe in you since day one and the fact that you will help, you know, bring the team to where we are now. And like I said, a lot of people made a lot of great plays that, that game and the fact that I could be a huge aspect of that, it was amazing, man. And that's, that helps you keep going. And that's why I love this game and love this team. You know, we still have, you know, a couple more weeks to go and, you know, we're, we're ready to move on to San Fran and, and, and hopefully go do the same thing we did this week for sure. Great stuff as always, Steve Barnes. Yes, Thank sir. you very Appreciate much. Appreciate you guys, man. Set the bar high yes, for your sir. kid yeah, going to games, man. man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, they're going to have to chill out this way. I told, I told wife, I'll see you in, in Vegas. <laughs> All right, that was Derek Barnes. I always love catching up with that guy. Yeah, he's easily one of my favorites. I was so excited to get in that locker room and track him down on Sunday just because even when he was a rookie, he was just so giving to the media, you know, even when he didn't have to be, even during those COVID years. I mean, he was a pleasure to talk to and remains a pleasure to talk to. That's it. That's something I've always really respected about players is, I mean, it's easy, it's easy to talk to a reporter and face the music when you've scored a touchdown or something else that's going right for you. It's, it's something else when things are going wrong for you or the team and you're willing to stand there and answer questions about it. It, it takes a certain amount of confidence, um, a certain level of, of moxie, of grit, if you will, the, the word of the day in Detroit. And Derek Barnes has always embodied that for me. He's, he's just uh, a treasure to talk to. And uh, these days he's playing some pretty good football. No, absolutely. And it's just, I was so happy that he wanted to do this. I mean, I never doubted he would say yes to talking to us because he never has said no to us. So it's just. I also think he appreciated it because we went to the locker room and we're like, yo, D Barnes, like you see this big group, oh, yeah. of a, a, a massive group of cameras and microphones. They're going to hoard your locker room. Why don't you come with the two of us? We'll go in the indoor practice field and we can chill a bit and yep. just talk about the Tampa game. He's like, all right, cool. <laughs> yep, exactly. We got him away from the horde because, I mean, I told him, I was like, if you're at your locker and somebody comes up to you, they're all coming up to you this yeah. week. <laughs> yeah. It's been wild around here. There's a whole extra row in the press conference room here in Allen Park. And I think every seat but one was filled for Dan Campbell's press conference. <laughs> I'm cool with it as long as it keeps resulting in free pizza. <laughs> yeah, there was that. The, it was Little Caesars, which is not usually my thing, but oh, it hit right it, today for some reason. Colton and I had that conversation too. Pouncey was like, man, that Little Caesars, they must have found the the gold Little Caesars. The Ford family got the inside connection. <laughs> Good stuff there, Ben. Let's let's turn forward to Lions 49ers. That it's, it's biggest game in a long time in this town. Uh, we've set it up beautifully. I, I, I feel like we, we you know, it's, I think it's going to be a compelling game. We don't like the Lions chances. Neither does uh, Eric Branch, the uh, 49ers beat writer um, for the San Francisco Chronicle. So let's let's get to our interview. Eric does a great job of assessing what the 49ers are, strengths, the weaknesses, how they've evolved over time. So let's dive into the uh, the other side of the ball. All right, Ben, we are joined now by a man I'm finally getting to talk to for the first time after years of DMs and, and whatnot. Good guy who uh, follows 49ers for the San Francisco Chronicle. Eric Branch now joins us. Eric how are how are things out on the West Coast? Uh, they're they're busy, as I'm sure you guys can, can relate, um, and, and maybe busier depending on what happens on uh, uh, on Sunday. But uh, I think it'll be a competitive game. We can get into it. 
the busyness is something that as Lions beat writers, you know, we haven't been this far in the playoffs before. We're usually on vacation by now in January. Um, this work, I, I don't know how you do it covering a competitive team every year. Cause I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. My wife doesn't love it. Uh, she, she kind of starts paying attention to the Niners, uh, you know, late in the season around playoff time and then begins uh, rooting for them very passionately to lose and actually watches the games, uh, you know, and through that she's, you know, I think it was in 2021, she learned exactly what a first down is and everything. So <laughs> she's slowly getting, ed- slowly getting educated through her hatred of the Niners. <laughs> <laughs> your, your wife sounds exactly like my partner. She is eagerly uh, um, rooting for the 49ers this week. Um, I, I The first question I have for you, Eric, you know, the Lions, um, Dan Campbell, like it's all been very popular stuff around here for a while and particularly going back to, to last season with their turnaround. But he um, captured hearts a long time ago. And and now America's kind of getting to know the Lions story. I think people around the country are starting to understand the plight that Lions fans have had um, over the last, I don't know, 65 years or so. And you're seeing more and more stuff about how the Lions are like, you know, America's new team, um, huge TV ratings, um, all these kinds of things. So I'm just curious, as a guy who covers the 49ers, you're out in San Francisco, I guess, what is your awareness or your understanding of, um, you know, the the Lions rebuild and and what they have going on under Dan Campbell and this whole narrative of of this being kind of, you know, America's new team? Well, you know, just as a sports geek, uh, you know, since, you know, roughly the time I was born, you know, I'm I'm aware of the long time futility of the lions. Um, and, but it wasn't until I started diving in like, okay, okay, we've got an opponent. It's the lions. And there were just things that struck me like, holy crap, that's pretty amazing. And one of the holy crap things was the last lions road playoff game or playoff win was 1957 (laughs) at Kizar stadium against the 49ers. <laughs> and I'm aware of that game. Like George Seifert, the former 49ers uh, head coach, was an usher at that game. And so through the years, like he's talked about being there because I think it was a uh, 20, 20 to nothing lead at halftime for the Niners. And it was just this devastating loss. Um, and so I've been aware of that game, but that then to have the context of that was the last time the Detroit Lions, obviously that was the last season they won a title of any sort, but that was their last road playoff game. Um, and, and so there are other things. I grew up a Cowboys fan, and I remember being so bummed. I think it was 31-6. It was that January 92? Barry Sanders went crazy. Yep. Yep. Um, and I remember that game being all bummed. And um, I was like, oh, okay. I guess I knew that, but not maybe really. That was their last playoff win? Really? It's ridiculous. So I, I guess, yes, I, I've gained, a, you know, maybe a deeper appreciation for the heartache and, you know, why this is, you know, it's any, it's a big deal anytime your team goes, you know, gets this far, but why this is so special. I was just talking to Gary Klein of the LA Times, uh, a good guy and um, a friend, and, you know, he's been, been a sports writer doing this a long time and uh he just said that atmosphere for rams lions was unlike anything at any not just football game but sporting event he's ever been to so you know just like wow this is 
this is unique and, and special. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you bring up the 57 thing because another aspect of this game that I really enjoy is that it's the 49ers, a perennial NFC contender that's been here, and it's the Lions, the young upstarts and stuff. So I'm just curious from a Lions perspective, like what is different about this 49ers team to the one that's been here multiple times in the last couple of years and just kind of why are they better, where are they weaker, things of that nature? I think this is the best uh, team they've had. Um, And, you know, they've just added like, you know, they were pretty dang good last year, obviously came in as the second seed, but it was kind of, well, you know, the Eagles are, are the top dog in the NFC. Um, and, you know, they pretty much kept everything intact and added Javon Hargrave to their defensive line. And, you know, they do have some older guys, but none of, you know, like a George Kittle who's 30, he still looks like George Kittle. Trent Williams who's 35, and he hasn't slowed down. I mean, so these guys still, even if they're not technically in their prime, are still playing like it. You know, they have nine Pro Bowl players, most in the NFL, seven All-Pros, most of the NFL. I mean, they're just completely loaded and they've been able to do that obviously because they're paying Brock Purdy $2 a year. And so they can pay <laughs> everyone else. Uh, so it's like, this is really their window and maybe it'll extend to next year because Brock Purdy will get paid $3 uh, next year. So yeah, they're, you know, obviously really dang good. You know, their 12 wins, you know, only one was by fewer than uh, eight points. Um, you know, I think it's by an average of 19 points. They've won their games. You know, there are cracks, you know, it's not like they're the 27 Yankees or anything, but they, where are the cracks, Eric? Yeah. Okay. Well, they're special teams. You know, you saw that with Nixon going 73 yards on a kickoff return. I think what they're going to do is just kick it into the end zone, but you know, that's an issue. They're Ambry Thomas, um, their number three cornerback. I mean, it's like, you know, most teams don't have three really, really good cornerbacks, and, and the Niners don't. Ambry Thomas is a weak spot um, uh, on their defense. Uh, I mean, they're probably their best position group, you might say, is their defensive line, but that they didn't have a sack against the Packers. Um, and so that is kind of underperformed. Um, their offensive line is okay. I mean, it's Trent Williams and kind of four other guys, and the four other guys are serviceable. But they're not, you know, special in any way. And so there were, you know, the pressure you saw on, on Purdy against the Packers, uh, you know, was certainly a reflection of that. You know, they've got Logan Ryan, who, who's playing strong safety. They signed him in, in early December. Uh, and when they called him, he was getting on a Disney cruise with his uh, wife and kids for Thanksgiving. And, you know, his performance against the Packers, you know, might reflect that he was on a Disney cruise in Thanksgiving. Um, so there, you know, there, there are areas where, you know, they can be taken advantage of, but, you know, if the pass rush is, goes back to being dominant and, and everything, then that kind of covers up, you know, your Disney cruise safety and uh, Ambry Thomas and, and stuff like that. So uh, not invincible, but you just look at, you know, the, the talent and the blue chip players and it, you know, I'm not sure any team can really match it. The Lions have their, their own cracks, um, particularly on the defensive perimeter. And I think there's a, a big mismatch there for the 49ers. Um, but I'm also concerned going into this game from a Lions perspective about their offensive line. It's been such a strength. Their offense is really built around moving the line of scrimmage up front. Those guys are unbelievable. 
Um, but the left guard, Jonah Jackson, uh, is not expected to play um, because of a knee injury. Um, Frank Ragnow, uh, who's just an unbelievable center and does so much for this team. Um, he, I mean, he's been playing through knee, back, and toe issues all year. He sprained his knee and his ankle against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week um, and still played well. But, I, I mean, we'll see how this week plays out. But I have, you know, real concerns about what his body – um, is going to be able to, you know, to, to handle against San Francisco. And as you mentioned, Eric, San Francisco is just so fierce on the defensive line. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what do they do? I mean, we know the personnel is unbelievable, but I guess what makes the 49ers so good, so disruptive on their defensive line? And do you see any, you know, uh, angles for them to uh, exploit maybe you know, some of the personnel issues on Detroit side with the injuries? Yeah, I would say, I mean, Nick Bosa is just obviously incredible. He, he's not in, as incredible as he was last year when he was the defensive uh, player of the year. But obviously it starts there. And Hargrave is a lot to handle, you know, two-time uh, pro board of the last two years. I, you know, I, I would say they're coming in. I mean, a guy no one really knows or, or would talk about is their uh, defensive end, Clem Farrell, who's been he's put on IR. So, you know, he's done for the season. Um, he had three and a half sacks. You know, he was a high draft pick with the Raiders, who's been, you know, largely viewed as a bust. But he started all 17 regular season games. And, you know, to talk, you know, get into football, he sets the edge. Um, but he really, he really did. You know, he did set the edge well in the run game. And you saw that. Aaron Jones had a 53 yard run, and that was to Chase Young's side. And Chase Young is not known, you know, for setting the edge. Um, they also have Eric Armstead, who's very stout inside, great against the run, can also you know get get after the quarterback. But he missed, I want to say, the last five regular season games with a foot injury, and you know the indications are he is not you know you know back to 100. percent You know it's the playoffs, so so he's going. You know without Cleveland Farrell and you know with Armstead being at whatever percent he is, you're not getting the peak 49ers defensive line. Um, and you know, you've got it. Obviously, Bosa is going to move around, but you know, you've got tackles who, who I don't know if they can neutralize him, but it, at least gives you a chance. I mean, sometimes you know, you you see, you know, the offensive lines in, in the NFL. A lot of them, I've noticed, struggle. There's just not a, enough really good offensive linemen to go around. So sometimes you see the matchups. You look at a team's of their left tackle and their right tackle. It's like this undrafted guy. And this guy just elevated from the practice squad. And you're like, oh, gosh, you know, Nick Bosa is just going to have a field day. So, you know, that won't be the case against the Lions, obviously. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, be have a healthy respect. But I don't think the Lions have to necessarily be fearful uh, of what the Niners are going to do up front. Yeah, no. And uh, one thing, I mean, I'm sure we've all gotten a million requests. Here you are doing the podcast for us from radio people this week. The one question I keep getting is like, it seems like the Lions should be able to run the ball on the 49ers, and I'm just kind of curious, like, what went into the Packers' success running the ball? Is that a one-week problem, or has that kind of been something trending in that direction? Because I'll tell you what, the Lions would love to pound the rock and just kind of throw down on Ross St. Brown on third and short. Yeah, I mean, there were there was the one 53-yarder from Jones, which, which skewed the numbers a little, but they were having success. Um, you know, they got into more than, I think, three to four – three to four third and one situations. And it was just, you know, Jones gained two or three and it wasn't really a problem. And that's, that's somewhat unusual against the 49ers. Um, 
they had, I, I don't know about the Lions, you know, level blocking um, as far as their wide receivers, but the Packers wide receivers had some excellent blocks to help spring um, Aaron Jones get outside for, you know, nine or 10 yard runs on, on Bosa and Young. Um, so that was the key and, and nice play designs and, and everything. I know you guys have, have that as I don't mean you guys, uh, the Lions, you know, have uh, a creative offensive coordinator who who can probably do similar type things that they were doing in the run game. Uh, Their scheme was really good, uh, you know, as far as a reason they had success, you know, on the ground. We're running a little short on time, Eric. I know you are too. Um, Just want to wrap this up with, you know, we talked a little bit off air about the Lions' chances in this game. I mean, San Francisco is unbelievable, top seed for a reason. They've been here before for a reason. I'm just kind of curious what chances you do give the Lions of um, going into San Francisco and winning a game that they haven't played in in 32 years. You know, I learned my lesson uh, maybe a little bit last week um, when I predicted 49ers 35, Packers 17. Um, and and so, you know, this isn't, you know, maybe, maybe overstated a little bit or thought that Niners are, are better than they are. They, you know, there was, I think, an issue of rust. I think they didn't handle the weather and the rain as well as the Packers. And so maybe those two things are kind of out the door um, when it comes to, you know, the next game here against the Lions. But, you know, the Niners, uh, excuse me, the Lions are not going to back down. 49ers bully a lot of teams and, you know, they cry uncle about midway through the third quarter. That's not going to happen against Detroit. Detroit can run, run the ball. They can stop the run, you know, as the cliche goes, you know, that's what you need to win playoff games. I do worry about Jared Goff being, you know, as immobile as he is. I, I saw plenty of times when the Rams, and when he was with the Rams and then played the Niners, and I, I don't think Goff necessarily scares them um, just because of that. I mean, Jordan Love is not necessarily a, a scrambler like a Justin Fields, but he could move around. He, may, he was able to move around enough to create time to make plays from the pocket. And Goff just really at least, you know, hasn't done that in his career against the Niners. So, you know, there's a reason the Niners are favored, but there are vulnerabilities there. And uh, so I'm going to say 49ers 24, Lions 23. That is the same score, I believe, in January 1984. Divisional playoff win by the Niners when Gary Danielson threw five picks and Eddie Murray (laughs) missed a what forty-one yard field goal in the last seconds, adding to the adding to the Lions playoff heartbreak. I, I think Lions fans everywhere listening to this is reciting that right along with you, Eric. We people don't forget. <laughs> Dad told me about that. Well, I did a story on the next game because it's the forty-year anniversary of that postseason. So the next game that Niners lost in Washington, it was kind of a memorable game so i wrote about that but then i was like well what did they do the previous week and i was like well that's an interesting game oh they barely beat the lions oh wait eddie murray missed the field goal oh wait the lions almost beat him when gary danielson threw five picks (laughs) (laughs) anyway eric branch san francisco chronicle thank you very much for your time i I hope you get a nap in (laughs) all right you too i appreciate y'all 